morning, BCC. Uh, so, so great to see you all this morning. Uh, I've seen lots and lots of faces back in the building I haven't seen for a while. Great to see you. Uh, if you've just come back, particularly if you've not been back in the building since we started the pandemic, uh, just delighted to see you. Um, we are in week four of a series on the Beatitudes of Jesus. Um, and uh, week four are, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, and it was our great pleasure to host Julian Morgan in our first service from Tear Fund. Uh, and we're going to make that video available on our YouTube channel for you because he did a belting message, just a tremendous message, asking us to, encouraging us to look out beyond our four walls to the, the needs of, of those around us in the world. Um, and then in this service, it's my very great pleasure to uh, introduce uh, Dr. Reverend, like a doctor and a reverend, I mean that seems very overqualified, um, Israel Olafinjana. Have I pronounced that right? Yes, you have, Nick. Thank, Thank you. You're, you're very, very gracious. Thank yeah, you. you're very gracious. Uh, now, Israel is a pastor in his own right. He's been pastoring a church down in Woolwich for the last seven years. You're a Baptist minister, aren't you? Yes, sir. And you've just recently joined the Evangelical Alliance. And um, uh, you have a heart for... Well, you're going to tell us what your heart is during your message, aren't you? You're going to speak to the Beatitude. You're going to kind of bring out some stuff from your Evangelical Alliance uh, kind of work and passion, which we're really looking forward to seeing. But we couldn't think of anything better than to get a couple of speakers in uh, who could speak to this beatitude, who can really kind of press home a message uh, into our hearts. Um, so, yeah, w BCC, would you, uh, would you stretch your hands this way? We're going to pray over uh, Israel as he brings our message, and then we're going to hand it over to you, Israel. Um, Father God, we just pray that something of this fourth beatitude would come across strongly to us. Uh, in Israel's message to us today. Would you uh, anoint his words? Would you bless his vision for us today? Uh, would you speak through him really clearly, we pray, uh, Lord Jesus. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Israel, thank amen. you. So, yeah, give him a warm welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Israel. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much, Pastor Nick, for having me here today. It's such a pleasure to be here at BCC. Good morning, church. And I hope you're well, and to those who are watching online, it's such a privilege and a pleasure to share God's word with you this morning. As Nick mentioned, my name is Israel Oluwale Olofinjano, a Baptist minister, or uh, an accredited Baptist minister, and I've been doing that for the last, since 2007. Uh, but currently, I'm working with the Evangelical Alliance, uh, which represents uh, about 3,000-plus uh, evangelical churches across the UK. And I'm on the senior leadership team of the EA. Uh, I sit as one of the directors. So my remit is uh, leading what we call One People Commission. And the strap line for One People Commission is celebrating unity promoting diversity. So in my work, I have the privilege of working with South Korean churches, Chinese churches, Iranian churches, Latin American churches, Brazilian churches, West African churches, East African churches, South African churches, and South Asian churches. The list goes on. And so, because we want to, the idea is to be able to see the breadth of diversity of the church in the UK. The church in the UK is multi-ethnic, is multicultural, And so the One People Commission celebrates that, and we work together in that sense. But also the Evangelical Alliance work in various areas, uh, not just only in unity and diversity, but in terms of mission, uh, in terms of advocacy. So we speak 
uh, alongside churches to the government, speaking to policies that affect the churches, whether it has to do with COVID rules or whether it has to do with some other advocacy areas, whether it has to do with migration. Uh, the EA speaks into that and we resource churches uh, around mission. So I just want to encourage you, if you want to find out more about the EA, uh, there are some materials that are out there in the foyer. You can become a member of the Evangelical Alliance just for three pounds uh, in that sense. So please do have a look and join us as we continue, uh, as we to continue to work together to make Jesus known, which is our strap line. Amen. Amen. I forgot to say I'm a husband of one wife. <laughs> Always very important. Where I come from, you can have more than one wife, so well, we won't go into that. So it's always very important to say that. And we are blessed with one son, uh, a little boy. His name is Iyanolua, which in my language means God's wonder or God's miracle. He's three years old. So it's a blessing uh, to be in God's family and to have our own family. So the Beatitudes, very important. If Jesus was to be a politician in Birmingham today. And if we were to ask him, what is your political manifesto? This will be his political manifesto. If Jesus were to be knocking on your door and saying, vote for me in the coming elections, either nationally or in Birmingham, Jesus will be saying to you the Beatitudes. Because the beatitude represents the character of God's kingdom. It is the charter, it is the foundation of Jesus' ministry. And I think Jesus was very particular, actually the way Matthew mentions this to us, to share this with his disciples, not just anyone. He was very particular, and there's a reason for that, because he wanted to show them something about what God's kingdom was going to look like and the character that must go with it. But the one I'm particularly looking today is in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I like the way Jesus unpacks the Beatitudes, because we call it Beatitudes because it simply means beautiful attitudes. And I think Jesus here, I like the way he was very contextual in saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Jesus was very much aware that every human being on earth is hungry for something. Every single person on earth, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter what your social background is, it doesn't matter what your gender is, we are all hungry for something. There is something that drives us. There is something that motivates us. Why? Because God created us as a being to worship. God created us for worship. God created us for devotion. And so there is always a yearning and an emptiness in us that craves and that thirsts for something. And so when Jesus said, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst, he knew exactly what he was talking about. In our culture today, some folks are very hungry about secularism. That is the idea that we no longer do religion. 
Religion is something that is like a fairy tale that is no longer relevant to our culture and context. That is something that we used to do. We don't do that anymore. And so we have secular culture, secular spaces, public square, where if you dare mention God, you are shut down quite quickly. But there are also others who are agnostics, who says, we're not sure whether we can surely know about God. Perhaps there is something out there, a being, something. And then there are atheists, very passionate about a philosophy, an idea, a structure, a system, an ideology. And then there are those who are hungry about religion. And again, that comes in various shapes and form, various sizes, various different kind of religion. And there is also those who are hungry about spirituality, that we need to move away from institutional religion. Anything that has structure that puts God or gods or no gods around it, people move away from it. So we talk about new age. And the beauty of new age is you can amalgamate several religious beliefs. You can be a Buddhist in the morning and a Christian in the evening. You can consult tarot cards in the morning and do something else in the evening. New age. You can blend ideas. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. For they will be filled. What are you hungry for? What drives you? What motivates you? When you wake up in the morning, what are your first thoughts? When you go to bed, what are your thoughts? What do you dream about? What drives you? What is the reason for your existence? And these are questions that people are actually asking now because of COVID and its impact. Why are we here? Why is there so much suffering? Is there a God that exists? What is our purpose? Are we here just to shop and that's it? Are we here just to pay bills and that's it? Is that all that there is to life? And here Jesus offers us an antidote to consumerism, to materialism. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus knew that because of that vacuum that something has to fill it. Some people fill it with materialism. Some people fill it with a constant attitude of buying whatever it is that makes us happy. But Jesus knew that that has to be centered in him. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness. So what is righteousness? Simply put, right living, right action. That's what righteousness is all about. Right living, right action. But another way of looking at the word righteousness is justice. Because in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that describes justice is also very similar to the word that describes righteousness. And also in the New Testament, it's the same. So the Hebrew and the Greek word, when they talk about righteousness, in some respect, they are actually talking about justice. But the thing is this, our world is passionate about justice. Isn't that right? 
Because people talk about Black Lives Matter. People talk about climate justice. But here's the problem. If righteousness is about right living and right action, the means to the end is very important. The methodology, the approach is very important. And so what we have in the world today is that we have works without faith. And then in the church, we have faith without works. I'll say that again. The world is so passionate about justice so that in the world we have works without faith. And then in the church, we are so passionate about our relationship with God that we have faith without works. But Jesus calls us to both righteousness, right living, right action. You cannot separate the two. It's like a coin that has two sides. It's inherent. It's embedded. It's holistic. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, he explained it even further in the Beatitudes. Just check Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. What did he say? Seek ye first. He didn't say seek second. He didn't say seek third. He didn't say seek the fent or seventh. Seek ye first. That is proto, primary, the basic, the basis. Seek ye first is kingdom and his righteousness. That's the righteousness we are talking about. Not just any misplaced passion for justice. A righteousness that is centered in God's character. Why? Because God himself is righteousness. He is our righteousness. Jeremiah puts it this way in Jeremiah 23, verse 6. He said, the Lord, our righteousness. It's not just only our righteousness. He is righteousness. You can't separate God from righteousness because that is the essence of his being. That is who he is. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are righteous. And so because this is his character, that's why anyone who must follow him must embed this in their values, in what they do. Right living, right action. How is our relationship with God? Right living. Because we live in an age and day where it's it's possible sometimes to be a Christian and still think we can do anything. This calls us right back to holiness, which is, again, another way of thinking about righteousness. God calls us to a life of holiness, to a life of justice, to a life of passion. But there is a question that we are asking today which is kind of crucial to this text. As we're having conversations around justice, particularly racial justice, black lives matter, all lives matter, whose lives matter. This is an important question that the world is asking. And what it seems to me is that the world is taking a lead on justice issues. Why? Because in the church, sometimes we think when we talk about justice, that is politics. But Jesus says, blessed are those that are hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be filled. When I speak to Christians, they tell me, oh, justice is politics. I'm like, 
Where does it say that in the Bible? If scripture says in Micah chapter 6 verse 8, he has shown you what is good, O man, that is humanity. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To act. Take note, it's a verb, it's an action word. To act justly. To love mercy, another action word. Act justly, love mercy. And then it says to walk humbly with your God. Going back to that relationship, right living, right action. The church must lead when it's come to justice. Especially when the world is asking whose lives matter. It is a cultural question, but as well, it's a theological question. Paul puts it this way. If one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. If some part of God's family are saying, we feel the pain because of racism, we have a collective responsibility to fight it together. And so when we hear Black Lives Matter, let's think of Paul's words. If a part of the body of Christ hurts, Paul even says, there are some parts of us that we don't esteem, we don't see, but if they hurt, we feel the pain. If one part of God's family is hurting, then surely we should all feel the pain and act together. So actually, when we talk about whose life matter or black lives matter, it's a question for the church. It's a question that we need to wrestle with. It is something that we need to fight together. And the thing is this, the church can take a lead on this. We should take a lead on this. To model to the world that there is a God of justice. To model to the world that vision that John saw in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. And also in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. I saw multitudes, nations, tribes, and languages. I always think John was in God's presence. And he saw multitudes. But what he saw was different nations, languages, and people. Now, why did God give John a revelation where he saw different nations, different tribes, and different people? That tells me something. God is not colorblind. God sees color. Why? Because he created people of color in the first place. God created every human being. God created one human race. But that humanity is expressed in different physical features, different skin pigmentation, different history, different culture. Paul puts it this way, in him we live, move, and have our being. God created all of us, one human race, but that humanity is diverse, and the enemy is trying so desperately to fragment it, to polarize it, and this is where the church comes in with a message of righteousness, with a message of justice that is rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ, a message of forgiveness, but also a message of reconciliation. God has called the church to restorative justice. Paul puts it this way. God brought together Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and made one out of the two. 
Ephesians chapter 2. That is what God has called us to. And so when I say diverse people of God, as represented at BCC, it makes me to rejoice. Because you are modeling something to the world. You are saying something to the world. You are speaking prophetically to the nations. And we must continue on that journey. But we must be active participants in that journey because the world is waiting to see, is the church going to speak for me? Is the church going to take a lead on this? We must get our theology right if we're going to begin to speak. Racial justice, justice issues, is not politics. It's not wokeness. It's scripture. Amos chapter 5, verse 24. One of Martin Luther King Jr.'s favorite quotes. Let justice roll on like rivers and lack righteousness like an unfailing streams. The church, we need to reclaim that prophetic mantle to speak to divisions, to speak to fragmentation so that we can come together. I believe strongly that God has put you and I at this particular time for such a time as this to show something to the world about reconciliation, about forgiveness, about justice. And when I'm talking about justice, it's not just only racial justice. There are various justice aspects. There is economic justice. There is climate justice. Again, when people hear climate justice, people think, wow, that is, again, politics. But climate crisis, climate change, the Bible gives us template to address these issues. Do you know that there is a triple application of the Sabbath principle in Scripture? The first is God walked for six days and rested on the seventh day. What does that teach us? God is teaching us well-being. God is teaching us that you must not be working consistently. You need to rest. If there is one of the things positive from the coronavirus pandemic, is showing us a different pace of life, that we need to take it slow. God rested on the seventh day. But he didn't leave it there. He gave us a command. Humanity should rest on the Sabbath. Walk six days, but rest on the seventh. But then there is a third application of that. He told the children of Israel during around the Jubilee, he said, for six years, walk. Walk the farm. Do your agricultural system stuff. But in the seventh year, let the land rest. Hello? Leviticus 25. Let the land rest. So God already gave us a solution to the global crisis, to the climate stuff, way before. And so when I see Christians who are not passionate about climate justice, I'm thinking, we don't know our Bible. Also, Romans chapter 8, Paul puts it this way. He said, God is waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. And he says, the earth is groaning. And Paul speaks about salvation in twofold. He speaks about human redemption, but he speaks about the redemption of the cosmos. That is the earth being redeemed again. The recreation of the new heavens and the new earth. God is very passionate about climate justice. It's in the Bible. 
God is keen about justice because that is who he is. That is the DNA of God. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. They shall be filled. God knows that we will need help to fight justice, to do righteousness. And he promises to fill us with the spirit. He said they shall be filled. Now Jesus was around here. And he said, I will send you another comforter to empower you, to help you to witness. It is my prayer this morning that the Spirit will infuse us with passion for a right living, but also for a right action. So that wherever you find yourself, whether in your workspace, in your college, with your neighbor, when you see injustice and you recognize it, you speak. You challenge it. You don't let it go. You don't excuse it. You stand up with your brothers and sisters together because we are God's family. We are God's people. May the spirit of the living God fill us with your spirit, with your, with your power, with your presence so that we can be peacemakers on this earth. So that we can be oaks of righteousness that Isaiah talks about. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we begin to round off and begin to pray. But I want you to pray this morning as the worship team minister to us that God will fill you with passion for justice. That God will fill you with passion for his cause. Not the way the secular world wants us to do it, but the way God wants us to do it. Emphasizing the character of God, the chatter of his kingdom, his presence. Amen. Amen.